0: As well, if you're a fan of Canadian history, make sure you check out all of my shows, From John to Justin, Canadian History X, Canada, A Yearly Journey, and Box and Cups, along with Canada's Great War. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. Just click Donate. It helps keep this show going, and all donations in September will be going to the SPCA in the memory of my best pal, Boris, who sadly passed away earlier this month. Okay, on with the show. With the negotiations done and everything agreed upon, it was time to form the team. At the time, Canada had some of the greatest players in the history of the game playing in the NHL. There was, of course, Bobby Orr, along with his teammate Phil Esposito. Ken Dryden was a hot-shot goalie for the Canadians, while there were other players such as Bobby Clark, Brad Park, and Frank Mahovlich. In order to make the team roster possible, it fell to a man who was heralded as a visionary at the time, but who would fall from grace in a few decades' time, Alan Eagleson. Eagleson, who was the president of the NHL Players Union and the director of Hockey Canada, would now emerge as a central figure, despite not having taken part in the negotiations. With a large network of connections to players, owners, Hockey Canada executives and businesses around Canada, he would begin to bring the pieces together. In order to get the NHL owners on board, it was agreed some of the proceeds from the series would go to the NHL Players Pension Fund, which reduced payments for the owners. As the agent for several players, including Bobby Orr, he also told them his clients would play without their approval, forcing the owners to get on board. But before we go further, who exactly was Alan Eagleson? A prominent lawyer in Toronto, he became involved in hockey through Bob Pulford, a player with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Eagleson quickly began to realize that he would be able to create a players' union, and he began to sign Leafs players as clients, including Andy Bathgate, one of the most prominent players in the NHL at the time. When Bathgate was traded to Detroit, this allowed Eagleson to pursue Red Wing players as clients. He would eventually take on a young phenom named Bobby Orr as a client, which would allow him to eventually become the most powerful man in the NHL by the end of the 1970s, with clients such as Lanny McDonald, Darryl Sittler, and others. There's a lot more to the Eagleson story, especially in terms of FBI charges for racketeering and embezzlement, but I'm not getting into that here. This is the story of the Summit series, not the fall from grace of Eagleson. When it came to the Summit Series, the Globe and Mail described Eagleson as the, quote, manager and motivator, travel agent and godfather, firebrand and peacemaker, end quote. Throughout the year, Eagleson traveled on a regular basis to work with owners and players to get players for the first Team Canada. But now to the building of this legendary team. To coach the team, Harry Sinden was brought on, having coached the Bruins to the Stanley Cup in 1970 before he retired only days after due to his rocky relationship with the Bruins management. Sinden was willing to take on the position and Hockey Canada approved the position. John Ferguson would be brought on to serve as the assistant coach to him. On July 12, 35 Canadian players were announced for the team by Sinden. The Montreal Canadiens were well represented with six players from the team, five of whom would wind up in the Hockey Hall of Fame. The Boston Bruins, despite being the best team in hockey, had only three players on the team, In Esposito, Don Alry, and Wayne Cashman. The Vancouver Canucks, the third Canadian team, would have no players on the team, but the Toronto Maple Leafs would have two, Paul Henderson and Ron Ellis. Of the top 10 players in regards to points from the 1971-72 season, only Bobby Hull and Johnny Buseek were not included on the team. Again, more on that later. Three players on the team had scored 50 or more goals in a season, while five had scored 40 or more goals, and six had 30 or more goals in a season. The total goal output of the players on the team was 752 in the 1971-72 season. Sindin would say of the team, quote, We were looking for balance between youth and experience, and defense and finesse and aggressiveness, end quote. As the team would later find out, goals was not all that mattered when it came to beating the Soviets. One very noticeable absence from Toronto on Team Canada was Dave Keon, the legendary Maple Leaf who had not signed a contract with the Maple Leafs by the cutoff day for Team Canada. Some questioned why Mario Tremblay and others were added to the team then, and Keon left off, even though they had not signed contracts yet either. Other criticisms for those left off were Gary Unger, who played for the St. Louis Blues and had 70 points the previous season. There was also the question of why Jacques Plante, the legendary veteran goalie, was not included. At the very least, for his experience, he had won the Vezina only three years previous. Sindin would refuse to discuss any players who were not invited to be part of the team, stating, quote, I think it would be very unethical for me to discuss them, End quote. From the American teams, other than Boston, there would be representatives from the Flyers, Rangers, Blackhawks, North Stars, Sabres, and Red Wings. Of the American teams, the New York Rangers and Chicago Blackhawks each had five players on the roster once all the shuffling was done. Interestingly, the roster included two sets of brothers, with Frank and Pete Mahovlich and Phil and Tony Esposito. Despite some players not playing, the roster was still stacked. Of the 28 players who actually took to the ice in at least one game, 13 would wind up in the Hockey Hall of Fame, while 11 would be selected in 2017 as one of the 100 greatest NHL players ever. Only 7 players would actually play in every game for Team Canada though. As could be expected, several players were just happy to be called up to the team, including the young Bobby Clark, who was still a year removed from his first of three Hart trophies and two years away from winning his first of two Stanley Cups. He would say, quote, I've played the Swedes and Czechs while I was a junior and never the Russians. How did I do? Well, I was only 17, so I didn't get on the ice much, End quote. Pete Mahovlich was also surprised to be selected and would say of the Russians, quote, I don't think you can intimidate them. No, in the end, it will have to be superior talent that wins out, and we've got that. And if you try to run at them over there, the crowd will be calling penalties. Our advantage will be the ice surface. Some people think we'll be put off by the bigger ice, but man, that'll make us click." We had an unwieldy amount of players. They were all excellent players in the NHL, the best of all. But there were 35 of them, and uh, we had begun by promising each of them that they would participate in at least one game." In order to play for Team Canada, a player had to have signed an NHL contract by August 13th. The condition was negotiated between the NHL and Hockey Canada and the NHL would not waver on it. It was also the hope of the NHL that this would force several star players to not sign with the WHA and instead stay in the NHL. The gamble did not work as Bobby Hull and others all signed with the WHA. The condition put forward by the NHL was also heavily criticized in Canada. Harold Ballard, owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs and no fan of the WHA, even felt it was too much, stating, quote, This is the unofficial World Series of Hockey, and we want to win, End quote. Phil Reimer, who was the governor of Hockey Canada, would resign over the issue out of a protest. Even Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau made a personal appeal, but Doug Fisher, who was the chair of Hockey Canada, refused to reopen the agreement. Trudeau would say, quote, I don't think it's a final proposition that we will be playing without Bobby Hall, I am not sure, but I understand that negotiations are going on, and I hope we will manage to have Bobby Hall in the lineup. End quote. Trudeau would send out several telegrams over the matter to the president of the NHL, the president of the Players Union, and the president of Hockey Canada. He stated in the telegrams quote, You are aware of the intense concern which I share with millions of Canadians in all parts of the country that Canada should be represented by its hockey players, including Bobby Hall, and all those named by Team Canada in the forthcoming series with the Soviet Union. On behalf of these Canadians, I urge Hockey Canada, the National Hockey League, and the National Hockey League Players Association to take whatever steps may be necessary to make this possible. End quote. Despite his attempts, Trudeau was unsure beyond that how the government would be able to intervene in the matter. He said, quote, I don't know in what sense you want the weight of the federal government to be placed. If we put pressure on Hockey Canada and we end up without an agreement, it wouldn't be a very useful thing for us to have done, end quote. Some even thought that the exclusion of Hull could be an election issue in the upcoming election. Steve Poprowski, a progressive Conservative MP, would say, quote, I thought this was going to be Canada's team, and then Clarence Campbell says it will be an NHL team with no exceptions, and then Hockey Canada, Cabinet Ministers and the Prime Minister say they aren't going to contradict Campbell. I wouldn't believe it if I didn't hear the Prime Minister say it over the radio, end quote. He would predict that it would become an election issue, especially if Team Canada lost to the Russians just prior to the October election. He added, quote, Trudeau blew it again. He didn't realize how important this was to the country, especially Western Canada. It is another example of discrimination against the West, end quote. The matter would be brought up in the House of Commons, and a lengthy debate among Cabinet Ministers was held, But beyond pushing for something to be done, there was nothing else that the government did over the matter. Fisher would say, quote, No consideration was given to the possibility that the players would be chosen from other leagues, amateur or professional, end quote. As could be expected, many sports writers were quick to criticize the entire matter. Jack Kaufman with the Ottawa Citizen wrote, quote, What would you think of an all-star Major League Baseball team today without Johnny Bench, the best catcher in the game? Giving Bobby Hull the thumb is like saying Babe Ruth shouldn't be in the Baseball Hall of Fame despite all his home runs because he started out as a pitcher. Quote. Manitoba Tourism Minister Larry Desjardins would send a telegram to Health Minister Monroe to protest the exclusion of Hull on Team Canada, stating it was a blow to Winnipeg hockey fans. At the time, Hull was the second highest scorer in the history of the NHL behind only Gordie Howe, and the only man at the time to ever score 50 goals or more in five different seasons would stated about the matter, quote, Well then, it is the NHL against the Russians, not Canada. That is what it amounts to. This is supposed to be Hockey Canada. That's the name of the game. The name of the team is Team Canada, isn't it? They'll have to change the name to Hockey NHL, end quote. Ben Hatskin, owner of the Winnipeg Jets, with whom Hall signed, stated, quote, Is this a Canadian team or an NHL team? I think Canada is bigger than both the NHL and WHA, end quote. Hull would add regarding his own talks with Sinden, quote, Harry Sinden and I talked about it before, and I asked him about this. I'm picking the team, and I'll have the players that I want on my team, he said. So I guess they've changed his mind too, but I think Harry Sinden has got more guts than that, end quote. There would be several adjustments made to the roster prior to training camp taking place. He was going to choose not to play over the issue with his brother being excluded. Bobby Hull would convince his brother to play for the team. Jerry Cheevers, after signing with the WHA, was replaced with Eddie Johnstone, a teammate of Cheevers with Boston. Derek Sanderson was replaced by hockey legend Stan Makeda, while Rick Martin replaced Bobby Hull. Bobby Orr, the best player in the league and arguably the greatest player ever, would not play due to being injured, but he would remain with the team and practice with the team. Did so I look at the lineup the hockey players at the Canadian team that we have on the ice? And I guess it's going to take an awful great team to beat them, and I I don't think the Russians have that talent. Seven other players were also part of Team Canada, but did not play any games. There was the aforementioned Orr, as well as Brian Glenny, Jocelyn Gouvermont, Dale Talon, Marcel Dion, Rick Martin, and Eddie Johnston. Of those players, Orr and Dion would wind up in the Hall of Fame, and on the list of the 100 greatest players in NHL history. Three junior-age players were also invited to training camp, all clients of Eagleson, but they would play no games and were drafted into the NHL five weeks before the Team a roster was selected. It was decided that everyone who agreed to report for the team would be guaranteed a spot and no one would have to compete for a position. This would lead to several players having much more time on the ice than others during the series. The Montreal star would state Coach Sinton said from the start that when he gathers his players on August 13th in Toronto for the start of training, he won't regard it as a tryout camp. In other words, Those named are part of the team and will go wherever the team goes." Esposito, Makedem, Hovlich, and Jean Rattel would be named co-captains for the team. The team would be called, of course, Team Canada, which was questioned by some. Rod Coldman out of Ottawa would send a letter to the editor of the Ottawa Citizen stating, "...now we have Team Canada as the name for our national hockey team. I find the title not only puzzling, but ridiculous. Before we know it, the Canadian flag will become Flag Canada. The CNR will have evolved into Rail Canada long ago. And why is there such a fuss about selecting a new name for Dominion Day? Day Canada is the obvious choice. End quote. Training camp would begin on August 13th, and Canada would prepare for a series of the ages. And I will look at training camp in the next episode. Thank you for joining me on Canadian History X. Information from Canadian Encyclopedia, Maclean's, NHL.com, Toronto Star, Wikipedia, Calgary Herald, and the Montreal Star. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of producer Dila Velasquez. Audio design and production by Rob Johnson. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help others find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. And we love hearing from you. So if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com. And don't forget to stop by my website and social media. I've included all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.